Welcome to episode one in our series, Students and Their Use of Technology. Today, we'll be focusing on social media. We'll hear from some LCS students as they explain how social media functions in their world. They'll tell us what they like about it and maybe share some of their concerns. So, thanks for joining us. Hey, this is Jeff Stabler, and you're listening to Vantage, conversations about students, parents, and education in the light of God's Word. Our conversation today centers on students and their use of technology. Technology is an enormous part of most students' lives, and as parents, sometimes we feel left in the dark. How are we supposed to make sense of this rapidly changing world around us? One solution might be to consult the so-called experts and read a lot of books about this topic. The problem is, by the time these books are published, the technology has already passed them by and the landscape has changed dramatically. To cite one example, I read an excellent book that came out just last year talking about how college students are using social media, but an entire section of the book was devoted to the app Yik Yak. Now you may be wondering, what's Yik Yak? Well, that app is no longer in existence. So here's a book merely a year old and it already sounds cringingly out of date. I came to realize then that if we're going to understand how students are using technology, we need to hear from the students themselves. So what I'm going to share with you is the result of an almost year-long process of listening to students through a survey, through individual and group interviews. There were two things that I came to realize based on these conversations. The first is that students are not merely reflexive in their use of technology. They think a lot about what technology is doing to them and how they need to handle it themselves. This hardly means they're satisfied with how they're handling technology, but they do think about it. The second thing I came to understand is that students really do want to have conversations with adults about these things. In fact, in some cases, I would go as far as saying they long to have a conversation. The problem is that students are often unsure how to initiate a conversation with an adult, and it's been my experience that adults often feel the same way. So hopefully this podcast can serve as a tool to bring us together. In this episode, we simply hope to gain a lay of the land, to hear from students how they're using technology and social media in particular. In the following episode, students will offer what they see as the positive and negatives of social media and technology, and we'll offer a bit more analysis. When it comes to social media, as adults, we have a lot of room to grow in our understanding. Often, because we use the same social media platforms that students are using, we make the assumption that our experience is identical to theirs. This is hardly the case. Students use social media and think about social media in very different ways than most adults do. One place where this is clearly seen is the way that students think about Facebook. I asked a group of ninth grade girls what they thought about Facebook. Here's what they said. How quickly things change. Facebook used to be the most hip and cool app on the planet. Now students see it as boring and for old people. So why don't they like Facebook? Well, one girl puts it this way. Well, like, Honestly, yeah, he just posts like random words. He doesn't post a picture. Like you can just post like something that happened in your day and you can just like type out words and people can read it and like it. I don't like that aspect of it. I just want, I like looking at pictures and videos and stuff. Aside from having too many pictures and words, Students disapproved of Facebook for two other reasons, and these two reasons give us key insights into how students are using and thinking about social media. 
Consider these comments. Like, uh, Facebook, all the parents don't like care what they found. They're just like, oh yeah, this is what we're doing this weekend. They're just like, having an equality. The recording is a little hard to hear there, but at the end, the student asks, how is that quality? And therein lies one of the key differences between adults and students. Students expect that their public, keyword here, public, social media accounts would have some quality to them. That is, that they would have some meaningful content or some beautiful aesthetic content. And they find that lacking in Facebook. Not only that, but students are also very uncomfortable with all the complaining they see adults doing on Facebook. They would like to see social media be a place of affirmation, and especially public social media. So this helps us understand why students are using the social media apps they are using. There are two that stand above all the rest, and those are Instagram and Snapchat. But it's really important to understand that these two are not the same. They are used for very distinct functions in the life of teens. Listen to this student explain. Like, you use social media, every platform you use for, like, a different uh, thing. So, like, Instagram is kind of, like, the, the best of you you use for Instagram and you only post the most edited like perfect looking pictures that are in your photos. The ninth grade girls agreed with that. They explained it like this. I feel like Instagram is all about like, your aesthetic and like your thing. It's like like what like the your important style. stuff to you. Your yeah. style. Okay. It's yeah. like yeah. amped up. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, like it's you as like a fake version. Not really like, <laughs> like no, I don't know what you're saying. You like a fake version of you? You guys are like, 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 like Say that again. It's like, the perfect version of yourself. Here we run into a common theme that I encountered as I interviewed teens about their Instagram account. On the one hand, teens really believe that their Instagram account reflects a true picture of who they really are. In some ways, perhaps, the most true picture of who they really are given the amount of reflection and consideration that goes into the careful selection of the images that are posted on their Instagram page. They believe that these pages reflect their style or aesthetic, as you heard the one student put it. On the other hand, students fully expect that their Instagram pages will be carefully curated and edited to perfection. So this leaves us with an interesting contrast. When I surveyed students, overwhelmingly they agreed with the statement People portray their lives as better than they really are on social media. And yet, in the same survey, students overwhelmingly agreed that their social media pages reflect an accurate picture of who they really are. Students seem perfectly at home, living within the tension of these two statements. But there is nuance here. That's why you heard the classroom reject the student who said that Instagram is a fake version of you, but they seem to accept the student who said that Instagram is a perfect version of oneself. Let the weight of that sink in just for a moment. Perfection, students chasing perfection. And how in the world are they to decide what perfection really is? Well, thankfully, Instagram has a very handy built-in way of doing this, and it is likes. When interviewed in a survey, the majority of high school students agreed with the statement that the main reason people post things on social media is to get likes. Certainly not every student is driven by likes, but some really are. In fact, some could tell me the precise time of day that one should post a picture if you want to get the maximal number of likes. They had it down to a science. Other students told me that if they posted a picture and it did not get an appropriate number of likes, they would actually take it down. 
Again, it's important for me to emphasize that this is not necessarily the experience of every student. Some were far more confident in the things they posted. However, it certainly is the experience for many. As I interviewed students about their Instagram accounts, another interesting trend appeared, and that is that they always tried to appear happy or positive. In her book entitled The Happiness Effect, Donna Freitas makes this observation with college students. She surveys them, asking them to answer yes or no to the question, quote, I try always to appear positive slash happy with anything attached to my real name. She found that 73% said yes. So I tried out the same question on our secondary students and found that here at LCS, over two-thirds of our students agreed with that statement. So I asked students if they ever felt the freedom to post anything negative at all on Instagram. Here was their reply. No. no. Unlike their parents who have an entire genre dedicated to the rant, these students feel tremendous pressure to present themselves in the best possible light. This means they always need to appear completely put together and happy, which for many of them can result in a rather exhausting experience on Instagram. Some avoid this pressure by simply not posting very frequently, but others have developed a rather clever workaround. They have established something known as a spam account. A spam account is an Instagram account established under a pseudonym. Once students have established this account, they allow only their close friends to follow them, the people that really get them. This affords them a much higher level of freedom in the frequency and types of things that they post. And this is the reason that it's called a spam account. On these accounts, they feel freedom to violate all the unwritten rules of Instagram. Their funny, silly, banal, and sometimes even unsightly images appear in the news feed of their followers, thus spamming them. At this point, a parent might rightly ask, what is my student trying to hide by posting anonymously? Well, generally speaking, they're not hiding from their parents as much as they're hiding from the Instagram community as a whole, and instead finding a measure of freedom among their close friends. As I've interviewed students, I've found that these spam accounts are places where students feel that they can simply be themselves and have fun and share themselves in a more open way than they could otherwise. Could a student be hiding material from a parent? Well, of course, but that does not seem to be the case for most of them. Where I do think a parent should have a conversation with their students, however, is with the notion of a close friend. I ask students, who has access to your spam account? And over and over I heard that phrase, only my close friends. So when I ask, well, how many close friends would follow you? I was surprised by the answer. From a spam, I feel like maybe uh, like 100. 100. Does that feel I feel like we're like 30. Yeah. I was yeah. like 100. Mine is like 70. At this point, most adults would laugh and say, you've got to be kidding me. You can't have 60 or 100 close friends. Clearly, we're working with different definitions here. So what then qualifies as a close friend? Well, here was the answer I received. It's not like, it's what just like friends that you're comfortable with, like knowing like, who, like how you act, like maybe like 60 people. It seems what's really at stake here is the fact that students want to really preserve their identity or image. So if they take a risk and post something funny on Instagram, a close friend is someone who's able to interpret that image as funny and not to judge the student's identity based on that post alone, but rather on all they know about that student. What that means then is that for the most part, close friends are people that students would know in person or have some kind of relationship with outside of social media. While we can be glad for the fact that students make a distinction between 
followers whom they have never met and those whom they have, I still find the language of close friend very interesting. And I think that language perhaps connotes far more than students realize. Students consistently reported being more likely to share personal information through social media than face-to-face. In other words, there's something about the medium itself that gives the illusion of being close, of being able to trust someone perhaps more than one should. So as adults, I think it's important that we help students strike a balance here. On the whole, I think we can affirm their spam accounts. It's a healthy thing for students to have a space where they can share freely with each other and be unfettered by the burden of presenting themselves in an absolutely perfect light. As followers of Christ, we can certainly affirm their desire for close relationship. After all, we were made for community. This is the origin of that desire. However, we also need to help students understand that truly close relationships happen over time and face-to-face. Therefore, they may not be as close as they think to all their followers, and they should be very careful what they post, even with their close friends. Next, we turn to Snapchat. Consider this explanation for how students are using Snapchat. And then Snapchat is like, kind of use like iMessage, like your texting app, but with pictures. So you can like, you know, just quickly like be like, oh, I'm here or I'm at this place or this location or, um, you know, it's just really easy to see if somebody else is trying to text you or get a hold of you. And so it's like a more convenient version of iMessage. Snapchat relies on images rather than words, and students really like this aspect of it. Think of sitting in a classroom with a really good friend. You're not allowed to talk, but you can exchange a knowing look. Well, that's kind of what Snapchat does, except you're not in the same room. If you're you're texting someone and you don't know what to say, it's just, like, kind of (laughs) awkward. And then, so, like, you're just, like, waiting for a text back. So, like, on Snapchat, you can just, like, text, and then you, you don't really have to have a conversation. While Instagram is the platform for presenting the perfectly curated self, Snapchat is just the opposite. I asked the group of students, what kind of things are we sending on Snapchat? Here was their reply. My eyebrows. (laughs) (laughs) My dog. Your dog, eyebrows. Weird faces. Okay, you get the idea. Things that two friends would find funny. Why do students feel the freedom to post such silly things? Well, it's because they know that the images they post will soon disappear. So I asked students if they liked this aspect of Snapchat. Here's what they said. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really like, just like a picture of yourself. Yeah. Like, and you want that to go away. Because like when you send bad pictures <laughs> to your friend, like just to be funny. <laughs> so you never send like an eye messages, like a really bad picture of yourself saying, oh yeah, I'll be over there in five minutes. It's for this reason that Snapchat is by far and away the most frequently used social media app. And this is the way that Snapchat wants it. In order to ensure that students will continually visit their Snapchat accounts, Snapchat has developed something called streaks. Streaks. You have to go on your phone. That's marketing. Streaks simply records the number of consecutive days two individuals Snapchat back and forth. Students immediately identify this as a marketing technique, but nonetheless, it plays a powerful role in their Snapchat experience. But some people well, like email Snapchat, yeah, Snapchat. Some people email and they Snapchat get like idea. really upset when they lose it, and so they'll email it, and That's Snapchat will like restore it. Students acknowledge that streaks was not a particularly meaningful form of communication, but nonetheless, they kept doing it. It's like most of the people that you have streaks with, if you didn't have a streak with them, you wouldn't Snapchat them otherwise. Yeah. 
Here again, we see how social media can create pressure and even anxiety in the lives of teens. However, Snapchat is also an app through which students seek out encouragement. It's not all just fun and games. I asked students if they would ever use Snapchat to share something personal, like if they were having a bad day. Here's what they said. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people do that. I feel like you're more likely oh, to do Snapchat. Students recognize that Snapchat is an avenue through which they can encourage each other. However, there are some concerns about Snapchat as a medium for expressing empathy. Like, I think the kind of thing that kind of like stinks about putting your feelings on Snapchat is like no one knows if you just want attention or if you're serious. Once again, we see the difficulty students face in navigating relationships through social media versus face to face. Like you assume things really easily because like you'll only see a clip of something or just a picture of something and so you can think whatever you want about the situation. Here we have two girls making profound observations about how technology works. And I found this to be the rule far more than the exception. Students are really thinking about these things and as adults we need to step up and help them work through it. So as adults, how do we make this happen? How do we enter into conversations with students about social media and technology? We might begin by listening to the advice found in James 1.19. Here we are told that we are to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This is especially true when we're speaking to teens about their use of technology. There are two things that often keep teens from having conversations with adults. The first is the fear that they will be misunderstood, and we can avoid this by being quick to listen. I asked one group of teens what they thought parents ought to know about how they're using social media, and here is one student's response. I feel like we should have, like, that's just our way of communication now. Like, that's just how we, like, we use that, like, every day, and, like, that's how it's going to be. And I feel like if they do get worried about that kind of stuff, maybe just tell us, like, I'm not feeling your fast or something, that way we know, and we can talk to them about it. Notice the request to be understood. She says, this is the way it is for us. Please, you can hear it in her voice, please understand us. But then there's also an openness that if an adult has a concern about an app, well, talk to us about it. Help us understand why. It's also important for us as adults not to be dismissive of things that are very important to students. And social media is certainly one of those things. Listen to this same student again. So I feel like for them to just, you know, like fix a big part of like our communication. So maybe just, they can maybe get to know the app a little better. She assumes that maybe the app Snapchat's not going to be a very big deal to adults, but it is to her. And so she asked that adults would take the time to understand how the app works, to get to know it a little bit better, and maybe appreciate where she's coming from. And I think this is a fair request. In fact, it might even be a fun experience for you to sit down with your teen and have them show you how to use Snapchat. Ask lots of questions. Don't be afraid. They'll be happy to show it off. The bottom line is we need to be really good at listening. This doesn't mean that we offer no advice or correction, but we need to make sure that the advice we offer is actually in the place where students are struggling, not in the place where we think they're struggling, and those two are not always the same. And the only way we'll know the difference is by listening. The second reason why teens are fearful of speaking to adults about their use of technology is because they're afraid that the adults in their world will become angry. Could a student use technology in such a way that you would rightfully be angry? Well, of course, students make mistakes. But it's precisely at the point of these mistakes where we have the opportunity to apply the hope of the gospel to the lives of our students. 
So let's not miss out on these opportunities through our anger. Instead, engage your student in ongoing conversation before these kind of mistakes happen. That way, when they do make a mistake, as they likely will, they'll be able to come to you and feel safe and be able to discuss it. Well, that brings us to the end of episode one. Join us next time to hear from students about the positives and negatives of social media. They offer some very interesting critiques, and I think you'll really enjoy it. In addition, we will soon be releasing a three-part chapel series of myself and Ian Thomas, presented to the secondary students earlier this year. You can find those videos on the LCS website or on our LCS YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And for more information about LCS, you can find us online at www.lcsonline.org or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. If you'd like to contact us through email, you can do that at vantage at lakelandchristianschool.org. Special thanks to Jordan Burks for composing our theme music. Until next time, this is Jeff Stabler. Thanks for listening to Vantage.